0: Chapter 14 of Lancashire by Francis Archibald Bruton All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Longridge On the opposite side of the Ribble Valley to Pendle, forming, as I understand it, the northern slope of the Clithero Anticline, another isolated hill is a prominent object in the view seen from the train as we run north from Blackburn. This is Longridge Fell, whose beauties by no means evident at first sight, grow upon those who will take the pains to discover them, and one of its merits is that it serves as a beacon tower among the hills, from which to view much that would otherwise be missed. We may approach it from Preston by way of Ribbleton, full of memories of Cromwell's Preston fight. Passing on the left, Whittingham, where a tiny branch line is thrown off to one of those refuges, consisting of neat blocks of red buildings, standing in pleasant green country, of which we see so many in North Lancashire, always feeling glad that those who are of necessity confined in them, should have all the benefit of this glorious country and pure air. As you climb the fell from the village of Longridge itself, you hardly realise that you are climbing. What you realise is, that opposite to you on the left, is a grand bracken-covered fell rising to a pleasing cone, whose beauties unfold as you rise, and you find that you are looking right on to Parlick and Burnslack, behind which rise Sykes and Calderfells, in short, that you are looking across to the wild high moorlands of the forest of Bleasdale and Boland. To our right, the Ribble, now a broad river, winds through fairly level country past the Roman station at Ribchester, and between us and the village is the little Norman church known as the Stid, as we approach the summit of the Fell, known as Geoffrey, we cross the Roman road which has ascended directly from Ribchester and is here descending the steep northern face of Longridge, and we watch it striking like a white ribbon right across the Vale of Chipping to Browsholm, aiming straight for the mass of Penny Ghent, which is outlined on the horizon. At Browseholm, where Penny Ghent is no longer visible, the road swings a little to the left and now makes straight for Ingleborough, thus affording an excellent illustration of the point-to-point character of a Roman road. Beyond Sladeburn, this road swings round to run up Crowsdale, and somewhere in that neighbourhood, a Roman fort has yet to be found, unless, indeed, it has sunk into the moss. To the north-west, across Beacon Hill, the Fleetwood Elevator is prominent. Due west, the Blackpool Tower rises like a lofty lighthouse. Sweeping on towards the south, we pass Preston, the Ribble Estuary, Angles Darwin Tower, Musbury, and then come to Wally Nab and Pendle. Pendle, looking like a huge monster couchant, with paws stretched out in front and a ball at his feet. It is a grand view. We will descend the southern face of the hill in an easterly direction, and might, if we chose, follow the pretty Dean Brook down its steep wood, and past Hurst Green to where it joins the Ribble but we elect on this occasion rather to veer round towards Kemple End and avail ourselves of a courteous permit to visit the famous Jesuit college that occupies such an ideal situation at this end of Longridge. It was here that Cromwell slept on the night before the Preston fight. That night, says Captain Hodgson of Cromwell's Horse, we slept at Stanier's Hall, a Papist house, one Sherburn's, the Stonyhurst boys show you in their great refectory, where hang the portraits of so many famous alumni of the college, including one cardinal and a number of VCs, the identical table on which Cromwell slept the night before the memorable rout. It is ornamented with a brass plate, recording the fact, and when the tercentenary of the college was celebrated, the festivities included a humorous play entitled Protector vs. Rector, in which Cromwell, Asleep on the table, dreams of the future glories of Stonyhurst College. For a later Shireburn than Cromwell's host gave the site to the authorities of the much persecuted Roman Catholic seminary that, founded half a century after the initiation of the Society of Jesus, was driven first to St. Omer's, then from St. Omer's to Bruges, from Bruges to Liege, and from Liege to England. And very interesting is the story of their last flitting how they heard of the death of Robespierre from a passing ship as they were crossing the North Sea, Wordsworth, we remember, was crossing the Leven Sands, how the boys were somehow conveyed as far as settle, and then set on foot, how they arrived at Clitheroe, with in some cases the soles of their boots tied to their feet, and so utterly weary that they sat down uninvited on the doorsteps of the houses to the immense amusement of the inhabitants. And yet the journey seems to have ended in a competition as to who should be the first to reach the new home, a very dilapidated home at the beginning, hardly promising the splendid and commodious buildings whose couplers, touched by the sunshine, are so often pointed out by passengers running north in the train from Blackburn. Two of the couplers, however, mark the original hall of the Shireburns. The beautiful centenary volume tells the story of the college through its first 300 years, during which six thousand boys entered no less than five of whom have won the victoria cross on active service from Inkerman to the great war the work of the jesuit fathers at the astronomical and magnetic observatories is now famous all over the world and is of national importance adjoining the library of some forty thousand volumes is a museum on whose treasures in missals manuscripts and relics it would be easy to write at length while in a separate department is housed the complete natural history collection of no less famous an alumnus than Charles Waterton. As we pass along the corridors, the inscriptions over the various classrooms, poetry, rhetoric, syntax, etc., remind us that these were the names of the classes when the college migrated to England, when there was even a class of philosophers, and in a glass case is still preserved the equipment for the game of cricket as played then. The boys also had their own rules for football, and we notice even now the five's wall on the huge playground has no wings. The boys play cricket according to the rules of the Marylebone Club now, and visiting teams to their beautiful playing fields are sometimes impressed when, in the middle of a game, the Angelus is heard, and in an instant all play ceases, and heads are bowed. A chorus of merry voices greets our ear as the boys burst out of their study places, most localities are places here, at the close of afternoon school. And as we watch them hurrying down to the great refectory, we call to mind Carlyle's description of rugby on the occasion of his visit to the great Dr. Arnold as a home of industrious peace. And then we are conducted round the observatory and across the gardens to the large aviary to see many new arrivals, including such rara aves as a ruff and reeve, and lastly to the roof, to enjoy a spacious and glorious view over the valleys of the Ribble and the Hodder, basking in the spring sunshine, and Pendle, blinking in the distance. This glorious country is the playground of the Stonyhurst boys. Already they have compiled a flora and fauna of the district, and we are favoured with a list of the nests of rare birds that have been found this very year. Later, when we descend to the valley, Pendle is wrapped in a purple glow through which the gold of the bracken is seen, as through a mist of glory, while a dark shadow creeps slowly along the nick. We go and sit on Cromwell's bridge, and watch the sandpipers and the kingfisher shoot by, and think that they did just the same when Cromwell hurried his men across this narrow bridge. How narrow it is! on the night before Preston. Later still, when we arrive at Great Mitten, and leaning over the parapet, Watch a redshank bowing quaintly on a stone in midstream. We see Pendle mirrored in the smooth pool of the Ribble, a dark mass against a purple sky. The glory is gone. Turning round to the left, we find the mass of Longridge silhouetted black as ink against a sky of gold. End of Chapter Fourteen.